Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, just once again, just thanking you for the privilege of being in your house. As we go to your word now, Father, and as we talk about the shepherd and his sheep, Lord, I pray that you will just, as we walk through this message together, that you will just reveal to us individuals that we need to pursue after. Father, just show up in this place. Speak to each and every one of us this morning. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So the arms are down. So who won? You tied. Just kind of one, two, three down, right? Okay, well, good job. You know, I've entitled this, this sermon this morning, The Shepherd and His Sheep. If you recall, going back to the beginning of human history, being a shepherd was actually a noble task. Adam's son Abel is the first shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd, Jacob, Rachel, Moses, David, all of these were shepherds. Because the shepherds played a prominent role within our Christmas stories, we, we also like to, we, we oftentimes like to romanticize them, don't we? However, by the time the first century rolls around, being a shepherd was anything but a noble task. Genesis 46, 34 says, the Egyptians hated the shepherds. And as being a shepherd fell from favor, it was assigned to younger sons, to hirelings, or to slaves. They were a class of people, one writer says, second only to the leopards. The Talmud states no help is to be given to the heathen shepherds. Many shepherds during the first century were dishonest. They were considered to be unclean by the, the ceremonial laws. They represented the outcasts. They represented the peasants. And they were located beyond, beyond the, um, at the bottom of the social class. Yes, as the years went by, being a shepherd was considered to be anything but noble. But when we read through God's word, what name did Jesus ascribe to himself? The good shepherd. And this word good carries with it the name noble. So Jesus calls himself in the midst of a land full of, of, of um, bad shepherds. Jesus calls himself the noble shepherd. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be reading together Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. And as we read through this passage, know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus pursues after his sheep. We read, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Our message point is this. Who do you need to pursue after? When we are done this morning, my prayer is that the Lord will reveal to all of us in this room who we need to pursue after. We need to, we're going to look at those that have gone astray from the church, and we're also going to look at those that are lost, those that um, are on a collision course with hell this morning. 
And as we look at these this morning, these points, and as we walk through this scripture, I want us to ask ourselves, who do we need to pursue after? Notice our first point this morning. It is this. Let us not undervalue kingdom children. Last week, we began walking through Matthew chapter 18, and we looked at the different characteristics of kingdom children. Our three points were kingdom children are to be selfless. Kingdom children are to be humble. And kingdom children are to be protective. And with that last point, I shared with you the words from one commentary that said, we should be selfishly concerned about each other's holiness. All of us in this room should be concerned about each other's holiness. We should be concerned about our own holiness and righteousness. Then we also should be concerned about the holiness and righteousness of those that sit next to us every Sunday morning or those that are a part of this fellowship that are not actively involved in this fellowship. We should be concerned about each other's holiness. We should be concerned about each other's righteousness. We should be concerned about those within our fame family that are hurting, those that are experiencing pain, those that are going through difficult problems. We should be right there with them as they walk through these struggles. When one of us celebrate, we all should celebrate. We all should rejoice when good things happen to one of us. Oftentimes, the greatest love that those even within the church receive isn't from those within the church, but those from outside the church. And sometimes even the love that they get from those outside the church, it comes from unbelievers, not believers. We need to be individuals that make up Christ's family, kingdom children that love. We see here our, our next, our, our sub point here is kingdom children love. In verse 10, the first part of this passage says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Last week, Jesus took a child and placed that child in his midst and told his disciples that unless they become as one of these little children, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those who become kingdom children are highly valued by God. The Lord highly values his children, and we see that clearly within our passage this morning. Because he values us, each of us, and he says within his scripture that we are not to despise one of these little children, you and I must also make sure that we do not despise one another, that we do not look down upon one another. To despise someone is to look down on them, to see yourself as more highly exalted than they are. If you remember from last week, now I know that we were down last week, and many of you that are here were not here last week, but in Matthew 18, chapter 1, um, the disciples, we find the story of where the disciples are arguing with one another, trying to identify who the greatest was going to be in the kingdom. So they're arguing with one another, and they can't come to a conclusion amongst themselves. So what do they do? They go to Jesus, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's the first problem right there, okay? These disciples thought that they were going to be placed at an elevated state in the heavenlies. And what they probably even thought is that they were going to be on the same plane or just below even Jesus. Here's what we need to understand this morning. The greatest in heaven will be no man. 
The greatest in heaven will be the Lord himself. And the disciples got caught up in trying to figure out who was going to be elevated to this great state. When Jesus calls all of us not to greatness, he calls us to humbleness, doesn't he? He came and he walked this earth and he became a servant. He didn't, he didn't come um, uh, and be, to be served, did he? He came to serve. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are to highly value one another. And to do anything other than highly value one another is to see each other, not as the Lord sees us. And in fact, within our second part of verse, 11, um, verse 10, we see just how much the, the Lord values his kingdom children. He values us by protecting us. Us. We read here in the second part of verse 10. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. To see the face of God is a statement that means to stand in the very presence of God. You remember um, the story of Zechariah as he entered into the temple and he went in there to pray and offer up incense. And while he was there, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. What did the angel Gabriel say to Zechariah? He said this. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. We are told in Hebrews 1.14 that the angels are ministering servants. They are sent out by God to protect his kingdom children. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The picture we see here in in Matthew 18, verse 10, is that these angels that stand in the very presence of God and behold the face of God are always on call, ready to be dispatched by God. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in Acts chapter 2 when the angel came and rescued Peter from prison. We see that when the angel appeared to Daniel and closed the mouth of the lion. We see that after Jesus experienced um, 40 days of living out in the wilderness without food, and then the temptation experience, and at the conclusion of that, a host of angels come and they minister to Jesus, and and, and they, they ministered to him. And Psalm 91 Verses 11 through 12 we read, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The The host of angels that are in the throne room of God this morning are ready at any moment to be dispatched by God the Father to come to our aid. You know, I will never forget, I shared with you last week that while I was in... um, College, I served at a church in, in Breckenridge, Texas called Bethany Baptist Church. And I would get up early every Sunday morning and I would drive out to um, 
to, to Breckenridge. And I'll never forget this one particular morning. I got up earlier than normal. And, you know, I got up, got ready, and, and started heading toward Breckenridge. This morning, though, for some reason, I was so tired. It was one of those mornings where you have the windows down, the music cranked all the way up, and you're drinking caffeine. Have you ever had one of those days? It may have been early morning, late at night, but that's what I was experiencing. Well, on this particular day, I actually fell asleep behind the wheel. And I remember waking up, crossing Hubbard Lake Bridge. It's a bridge that separates um, the middle of nowhere from the other middle of nowhere, which is Breckenridge, Texas. But I remember waking up. And I kid you not, my car is almost at a 90-degree angle. And in a moment, the front of that car just whipped around, and I was going straight. And I believe with all of my heart on that day that there was an angel that was dispatched to protect me on that bridge. I know that because I don't have lightning-fast reflexes. There is no way that I could have compensated that car without hitting the other side of that bridge. You know, oftentimes within churches, we don't speak of angels. We don't speak of, of God's angels coming down to protect us. But God's Word makes it clear that angels are dispatched as God the Father requires them to be to come to our aid. If God values His children so much that He sends His angels to protect His kingdom children, then you and I must value each other and not despise one another or look down upon one another. We are to love one another and to embrace one another, and to strengthen one another, and not to despise and look down and ridicule one another. Okay, as we um, transition into our next point, let me, let me point this out to you. Some of your Bibles have verse 11. Others of your Bibles do not have verse 11. There's a reason for that. In the earliest manuscripts, that, that have been found even since like the King James Version has been written, verse 11 was not present. So what does that tell us? That tells us that somewhere down the line, there was a scribe that, that added, to, added verse 11 in, in your Bible, okay? And this verse should not alarm us because it comes from Luke chapter 19.10. And these are the words, if you have them in your Bible, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So somewhere down the line, there was a scribe that took liberty and, and added that verse to our Bibles. Okay, and, and so some of your translations have verse 11. Mine does not. If you're does, most likely it's either in brackets or there's a little note that indicates in the earliest manuscripts found, this verse is not in there. Okay, shouldn't alarm us because the words that are there are taken directly from Luke. They've just been put into the wrong place. Okay, so that leads us now as we transition to verse number two. It says this, pursue wayward, or or point number two, not verse, Pursue wayward kingdom children. Within our next group of verses, we see just how much value God shows towards us. When one goes astray, when one of us goes astray, the Lord pursues after us. When you think about the good shepherd, a good shepherd, when one of his sheep goes astray, he doesn't leave the 99 behind. 
or he leaves the 99 behind to go after the one. Notice this, the good shepherd's pursuit. Verse 12, we read, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? MacArthur points out that posing the question, what do you think, was a common occurrence, um, which, which the teacher is trying to get you to think, to process, and to understand what it is that's being taught. None of the 12, as far as we know, were shepherds, okay? They were not shepherds. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, and they were others, but we have never been told that any of the 12 disciples were a shepherd. But we do know that they knew about shepherding. You couldn't live in this part of the world and not know about shepherding and the importance of shepherding and know what a good shepherd looks like compared to a bad shepherd. These disciples would have known the care that a good shepherd would have taken for their sheep. They would have been able to relate to this story. They would have known how easy it would have been for one of these sheep to have gone astray and, and, and come up missing. There were caves all over Palestine that a sheep could get lost in. There were crevices or creek beds or, or, or ravines that a sheep could fall into or fall over. There were many places for a sheep to have gone astray. So Jesus asked what shepherd, what a shepherd would do if one of their sheep had gone astray. By posing that question, he, he's basically asking, does a shepherd forget about that sheep that has gone astray? Does he just look out over his, his flock and say, well, I've got 99. That is more than enough. I don't need to go after and pursue that one. That one is a dumb sheep, obviously, because it didn't keep up with the flock to begin with. Is that what a good shepherd does? No. It's not what a good shepherd does at all. A good shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes out and pursues after that one. Because a good shepherd is very aware of the dangers that are lurking out in the woods and across that barren, um, rocky um, part of the world. They know that there are wolves, that there are bears, that there are lions, that there are foxes. And there's also thieving shepherds that are out there trying to take that sheep from this shepherd. He recognizes recognizes the dangers and goes out and rescues that sheep. From this parable, we see a beautiful picture of Christ's love for his church. It is a pursuant love. When one of us goes astray, he pursues after us. And the Lord calls you and I to demonstrate that same kind of love. I've got two empty chairs up here this morning. And on this side, we see this word astray. And I want you to I want to ask you a question this morning. Who do you know this morning that is connected to Friendship Baptist Church that's not here? Okay, some of those may be because they're on vacation. You understand. So, so okay, they're not astray. Who are those people within our church, though, that you think about that have not been here in a while that, that we could classify as being astray? This past week... Um, it was easy to do this because we were so down last Sunday, but I went through our directory trying to identify all of those that are members of this church or 
actively attending this church, trying to figure out who wasn't here and who was here. And I counted about 50 people that were not here this past Sunday that would be considered as being active members or participants within this church. And so I thought, okay, let me dig a little bit deeper. How many people were not here that haven't been here for months or maybe even a year or two that haven't switched their membership to another church. Then as I dug through, I I came across about 20 people that have not been a part of this fellowship in a year or more. And so what I did was I got on the phone and I called up a few of those or I sent text messages to a few of those. And I heard back from several of them, talked to some on the phone, had great conversations with them. Why did I do that? Because you are valued in the eyes of God. And you are valued in my eyes. And as a faith family, we need to value one another. When somebody's not here, we need to reach out to them. Growth group leaders, if someone isn't in your class and you don't know where they're at, reach out to them. If somebody sits next to you because all you people sit in the same place every single week and you know if somebody's not around you, reach out to them. Show them that they are valued because that is what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd pursues after those that have gone astray. Who do you need to reach this week that would fall into the category as having gone astray? Let's reach them. Let's reach out to them and invest in them and show them how valuable they are to us. Notice also the good shepherd's celebration. In verse 13 we read, And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. You and I should celebrate when a wayward child that has been astray comes home. Notice what this shepherd did not do. This shepherd did not get angry with his sheep. This shepherd did not discipline that sheep. Now, I know that it was practice that, that uh, some shepherds would break the leg of their sheep to teach them no longer to, lo- to, to leave the fold. But we don't read about that happening in this passage of Scripture. He celebrates. His heart is overflowing. In, in Barclay's commentary, he indicates that this parable shows us the kind of love the Lord has for us and the kind of love that we should have for one another. It is an individual love. It is a patient love. It is a seeking love. It is a rejoicing love. And it is a protecting love. We should celebrate when someone has missed multiple weeks, and they come back into our fold because we don't know why they're gone. Some may be gone because they got angry. Some may be gone just because they've been sick. Some may be gone because they're going through family crises or whatever. And so when they walk back in the doors of this church, we shouldn't do what I unfortunately are guilty of. Where have you been? Or go up to somebody and introduce myself to them again. And just having fun. We shouldn't do that. We should celebrate and rejoice when they enter back in through those doors. Because they have been gone and now they are back. Notice also the good shepherd's love. In verse 14 we read, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Think about that for just a moment. 
The Lord is not willing for any of his children to perish. The Lord loves you. We read that throughout God's word. It is a love story to us. John 3, 16, Jesus told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord pursues us, and he loves us. In John 10, verses 27 through 30, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. The Lord does not want any of his children to perish. He doesn't want any of his children to be separated from him or any of his children to be wounded by the outside influences that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy us. If that is the kind of love that the Lord has for us, then you and I should have that same kind of love for one another. It should be a selfless love, a, a, a humble love, and a protecting love. So to conclude this morning, I want us to flip over in our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. So flip over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, we find a similar discourse given by Jesus as the one that we just read here in Matthew 18. However, there is a difference between these two sermons or these two discourses that are given. Okay, So, so notice the first one was given to the disciples. The next one is given before the religious leaders and the crowd. So we read here in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Within this parable, we see the shepherd's concern. I draw your attention to this parable because of the difference in terminology. Within the first parable, we read of these shape these sheep that have gone astray. And so the picture is more of those that are connected to the family having gone astray. But in this second parable, what we see is not just a sheep that has gone astray, but we read in this description of a sheep being lost, a sheep that is on a collision course with destruction. In the Bible, Oftentimes when we, we don't read words uh, so much of a person um, being saved as much as we do a person being lost. Throughout God's word, the biblical description for those that do not know Jesus is this word, lostness. Jesus is concerned for the lost. He is concerned for those that are on a path toward destruction. Just like those that go astray are in danger of being, um, being trampled on by the wolves and by the 
bears and by the, by the, the lions, foxes, and thieving shepherds, so is that sheep that is lost, that is in danger of being captured by one of these ravaging animals. The lost sheep, if they are not found, they will spend eternity separated from Jesus in a real place called hell. The sheep, obviously, in this story is speaking of us, humanity, okay? Those that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice the shepherd's commitment. The shepherd's commitment is Jesus' commitment to us. Jesus pursues the lost because he loves his lost. He loves the lost and he pursues after us. Knowing that if you are not a believer in this, know that if you are not a believer in this room this morning, you have a God that loves you and you have a Lord and a Savior that is pursuing after you. We read in John chapter 10 verses 9 through 10, Jesus refers to himself. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then verse 10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief's goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is exactly what Satan is trying to do. He is trying to steal from us. He is trying ultimately to kill us, or he is trying to destroy us. He is trying to keep the lost lost, and he is trying to keep those that have gone astray astray. That is the goal of the devil. But understand this this morning, that you have a pursuant God that loves you so much that he is pursuing after you. If you're astray, then he's pursuing you. If you are lost on a collision course with hell, this morning he is pursuing after you as well. And he wants you to experience this abundant life, life to the fullest extent. You can't experience that apart from him. You can only experience that when you enter in through the door, the door that leads to eternal life. And that door is Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And understand this. If you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand our third subpoint here is this, the good shepherd's promise. We read in verse 7, So just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Rejoicing in heaven. What a great verse. I can just picture it right now that When I became a Christ follower, when you became a Christ follower, those hosts of angels that are glaring into the face of God the Father right now, when one of us went from being lost to being fouled, all of heaven erupted in praise. The heavenlies rejoiced. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit rejoiced. The angels around the throne room were rejoicing. A couple weeks ago, whenever... Frank, a 97-year-old man, came to know Jesus Christ. 
as a faith family, what did we do? We rejoiced and we celebrated over this man that was lost for the first 97 years of his life. We rejoiced because he had been found. Pray for Frank. Frank um, is struggling right now, which is understandable at 97. Okay, But his struggles are different today than they were a few weeks ago, right? A few weeks ago, his struggles were against the, the principalities within this world. Okay? But today, his struggles is his, his dying physical body. One day, though, he's going to close his eyes. When he awakes, he's going to be in the very presence of the Lord. And Matt is my prayer for every single one of us in this room that one day when we close our eyes on this side of eternity, that when we awake, we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a promise that we have. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and understand this, there is an equal promise within God's Word that you will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? If you do not, what is keeping you this morning from entering into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't know Jesus, you come this morning and experience God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. I would love to share with you more about how you can do that. As we conclude this morning... Easter is just two weeks away, okay? Typically, Easter is the largest attendant day of the year, every church, okay? Because people come on Easter. Who within this fellowship has gone astray that you need to reach out to and invite to sit next to you on Easter Sunday? Or even next Sunday. Let's go to next Sunday, Palm Sunday. All right, you don't have to wait just to Easter. All right, who do you know that's lost, that is on a collision course with hell right now, that also needs to be reached? Who can you invite back with you next Sunday and Easter Sunday and subsequent Sundays to hear the good news of salvation? Let's think about that this morning as we enter into this time of invitation. Let's pursue after those that need to be pursued after, those that have gone astray as well as those that are lost. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there is a decision you need to make this morning, you come. If you need to come this morning trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come. If you need to come this morning and the Lord's leading you to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church, you come. If you just, where you're at, need to just pray for the Lord to reveal to you who you need to reach out to, you do that as well. Let's bow our head and let's close our eyes as we pray this morning. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you, Father, that you didn't give up on us. In the midst of our sinfulness, Lord, you pursued after us. And you pursued us until we allowed ourselves to be caught by you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for saving us. And Father, thank you also for when we as believers go astray for not giving up on us. Father, it would be real easy to write us off 
it would be real easy for us as a church to write off those that have gone astray. But if you haven't written them off, we certainly can't write them off. Father, reveal to us who we need to pursue after, both those that are gone astray and those that are lost this morning. Father, draw the lost unto yourself. If there's someone here this morning that's not entered into a relationship with you, draw them unto yourself. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.